Well, did you watch the Super Bowl last week? And what was your opinion about the Super Bowl last week? If you were at a gathering, no doubt everybody was uh, giving their comments about it. We certainly heard comments in the news and for several days afterwards. And the general opinion of the Super Bowl was, it was disappointing. We just didn't see any big fantastic plays. It was a low-scoring game and, and pretty just even all the way throughout. Nothing real exciting. So people were saying, what a boring and disappointing Super Bowl. In fact, I even heard people saying the commercials were boring and disappointing. Boy, you know, we look forward to all those commercials that they pay millions of dollars to put on, and, and even they were not exciting. Well, what that all points out is that sometimes... We get our hopes up, and we get disappointed. We especially get our hopes up when the word super is attached to something. Super bowl, or super sale, or supersized french fries, and it's so easy to be disappointed with those things. As I said before, sometimes we're told, well, don't get your hopes up, because we know that disappointment can happen very easily. But I'm going to change that. I'm going to encourage you to get your hopes up. I'm going to talk about that all this month. And we're going to start today with the reason you can get your hopes up. And that is because we have a God of hope. Listen how the Apostle Paul expresses that in this beautiful little prayer towards the end of his letter to the Roman Christians. May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I think one of the reasons why everybody gets excited about the Super Bowl is because of all the hype that accompanies it, right? From all the commercials, all the news stories. My goodness, you even go to the grocery store, and what do they have? Displays of potato chips and other snacks, and all say, this is what you need for the Super Bowl. Of course, this year it was kind of interesting about the hype. They focused our attention on some key people, the quarterbacks. So you have one who's very well experienced and been in a number of Super Bowls, and a guy who's young, and this is his first one. And then the same thing with the coaches. You have a coach who is very well experienced as a coach, been in a lot of Super Bowls, so he knows what to do. And the other coach, the youngest coach ever to be coaching a Super Bowl game. And then look what happened, right? We're all disappointed. Again, it just shows us how we put our reliance sometimes on people or, or for things to happen, and we get disappointed. Well, Life is more than football and the Super Bowl. But the same lessons about disappointment seem to happen. We get our hopes up, and then for some reason, those hopes begin to fade. That happens all throughout life. It was happening to the people that the prophet Isaiah was talking about, the people of Israel as well. And in his letter, this graph, I realize, is kind of detailed, but just focus on those top circles. His, his prophecy to them was all about getting your hopes up. 
But you read the first half, the, the section on the left, and it was all about the destruction that came to the northern part of Israel. How the Assyrian nation came in and conquered them and, and, and wiped them out. And as he is talking to the people in the southern section, he's reminding them that the same thing could happen to them as the Babylonian nation was rising up. And they too would come and conquer the people. Now how do you get your hopes up when you have such a disappointing or, or negative message? Well, in the very middle of his book, he reminds the people of how to get their hopes up. He focuses them on God. You know, too often when we go through life, we just see the circumstances and the challenges that are before us. And our, and our vision, our, our faith, isn't on God. Let me illustrate how that was true for the people of Israel. As I said, the northern section of Israel had just been wiped out by the Assyrians. And no doubt the people are looking back at their life and seeing how things had gone wrong. They were seeing their failures, their sin. They recognized now, as the prophets had been warning them all along, they had turned away from God. They were worshiping other gods. They were looking for religions that would uh, give them what they wanted, what, what pleased them best of all. They became very self-centered. And as a result of that, God wanted to punish them, chastise them, to bring them back to him. And so they were feeling the, the weight, the guilt of their faithlessness. And that maybe happens sometimes for us too, huh? Sometimes some of the things that we experience in life, we, we look back and we say, well, maybe I should have made this decision or done this differently. And then if we've done things that were, were wrong, morally wrong, then we start feeling the guilt of our sin too. Well, it's not just looking back that can get us down. It's also looking forward and, and seeing the things that, that lie ahead for us. For the people in the southern section of Israel, what they saw was the rise of another nation, the Babylonians. And they heard the prophets talking to them too, how this judgment would come on them for turning their back on God. And so their road appeared to be very long and, and treacherous and, and disappointing as well. And that can happen for us too, right? Looking ahead, what is my life going to be like? I have some concerns about my job, or not my job, but, you know, about a job. I have concerns about the economy or my health or, or relationships or whatever it might be. And so we, we see the, the challenges and, and the struggles that are there, and we maybe feel unsure about the future. So not only do we look back, we also look forward, but then we tend to look inside and those doubts become fears. And those doubts bring about some stress. Why is this happening? Doesn't God know? Why isn't he doing something about this? Has he turned his back on me? Doesn't he care anymore? Doesn't he know what's going on? And then we start to criticize God. And we start to lose our faith in God. So as we look at our circumstances whether it's B 
behind us, before us, or within us, we tend to get down. So Isaiah has some words to tell us, get your hopes up by looking up and seeing who your God is. In the scripture reading we just had a few minutes ago, he told us about God. Here's what he said. See, in other words, take a look. The sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock, that's you, like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. He's telling us to see two important things about our God. First, that he is a shepherd. A shepherd is somebody who cares, and that's how he pictured him. The Lord is your shepherd. He, He picks you up. He carries you. He holds you close to his heart because he has you in his heart. Here's how Isaiah goes on and pictures that now for us. He writes, Who else has the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who knows the, the weight of the earth and, and, or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who's able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? The answer to all those questions is no, because he doesn't need it. You see, what he's reminding us of is this, that as a shepherd, the Lord knows his sheep. Jesus even said that. I know my sheep. I call them by name. I know exactly what their character, what their personality, what their needs are like. He even says he has all the hairs on our head numbered. I give him a challenge every morning. But he reminds us that he knows all things about us and around us and that he cares. So when we have complaints, when we have worries, does, does God even care? Does he know what's, what's going on in my life? Yes, he does. Because he holds you close to his heart. Now, he also remind, Isaiah also reminds us that, that God is, is a sovereign. That is, he is the ultimate ruler. Now, listen how Isaiah goes on and pictures that. It's, it's quite a few verses, but... Really some good points here. To whom can you compare God? What image will you find to resemble him? Can he be compared to an idol formed in a mold, overlaid with gold and decorated with silver chains? Or if people are too poor for that, they might at least choose wood that won't decay and a skilled craftsman to carve an image that won't fall down. Isaiah was referring to all the false gods that the people gathered around them now. And he said, they're nothing. You're going to parry your God to that? Haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God, the words he gave before the world began? Are you so ignorant? God sits above 
the circle of the earth. And the people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root when he blows on them and they wither. The wind carries them off like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Oh, Jacob, that's you. How can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depth of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. You see, Isaiah is giving us a reason to be full of hope because of our God of hope, who is the sovereign, who controls everything in this universe, from the stars to the cells in your body. He controls it all for you. So what are your circumstances like today? You find yourself dealing with some troubles? There's some challenges in front of you? Are there some difficult things that you're facing down the road? You maybe have some doubts about things. You know, when we look at our circumstances, that's what we tend to see, right? All those, those negative things. Someone once said, circumstances are this. Those nasty things you see when you take your eyes off God. Really, isn't that sometimes how we refer to circumstances? All these troubles I have because we've taken our eyes off of God. So Isaiah was saying, look, look up. Turn your faith up toward God and remember who he is. As I said before, today is Christian Education Sunday where we're focused on on the purpose and the blessings that come through Christian education. And you know, in the classrooms, teachers have lessons that they want the kids to learn. Well, I have two lessons I want you to take with you today. Here's the first one. Don't look at God through your circumstances, but look at your circumstances through God. Now, all teachers, when they want somebody to remember a lesson, will have them repeat it. So let's join together and repeat this lesson number one. 
Don't look at God through your circumstances. Look at your circumstances through God. Now, do you see what the difference is? It's easy for us to be surrounded with all the troubles and the challenges of life and then through that try to see God and say, why is he doing that? I don't understand it. Doesn't he care? Can't he fix this? And we tend to minimize God. But what we should do is look at our circumstances through God, who is our shepherd, our sovereign and realize that all of these things are under his control for our blessing. And that's lesson number two. Everything is in his hands, so everything goes according to his plans. Let's say that lesson together. Ready? Everything is in his hands, so everything goes according to his plans. He is the sovereign over everything. And he promises that he will only and always bless us. So as we go through life with all sorts of circumstances around us, remember your God, who is over it all, and his goal for you, his plan for you, and that is that he's going to bless you. Let's stop at this point, and let's have the band encourage us, encourage us with their song, Anchor of Hope. Marvelous, wonderful, infinite God, author of all that is good, faithful provider and giver of life, source of all power and love. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, refuge and strength to the Salvation, remarkable love. 
What the Apostle Paul, what the prophet Isaiah were simply telling their people is, you have hope. It's in God. Now, what is hope? Sometimes we'll use the word hope like this. You know, well, I hope this happens, or I hope I get this. And with that, we're simply saying, you know, here's a wish that I have. Here's a want that I have. But for the Christian, hope is not a wish. Hope is not just a want. Hope is an expectation. We expect, we know this or that will happen because it's based on the promises of God that he has made, that he has kept in the Lord. That song we just heard reminded us about an anchor of hope. Listen to these words from Hebrews chapter 6 in which the writer is talking about the anchor we have that's hope. He says, God did this, that by two unchangeable things, in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. All right, so what two things has God given us that are the certainty, that are the hope that we have of all of his promises? It was talked about in in that song you might be a little more familiar with an old uh, hymn that we would sing, which is, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Yeah. Those are the two things that are the anchor for our soul. The blood of Jesus that has removed our sins It's the blood he shed on that cross as God was punishing him for the sins you and I have committed so that we would be forgiven. And it's his righteousness, his holy life that God credits to us through faith in him so that we can stand before God unashamed and having a perfect obedience so we'll have eternal life. And that's what he goes on then to describe. He says, we have this hope as an anchor For the soul, just as an anchor holds a ship in place when the winds are blowing and the waves are rocking up against it, so this hope we have of God from his promises holds us when when the winds and the waves of life's circumstances rock us. It says it makes us firm and secure. It enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He was describing the temple and how there was a big curtain that was up before they went into the holy place in the temple. But that temple was ripped apart when Christ died. 
And now God was saying, the way is open. Christ has gone there before you, and he is the way for you to go to have salvation. You see, that's our hope. Christians express that hope in symbols. This symbol here is from an ancient Christian tomb in which was carved that anchor, meaning our hope is in the Lord. Today, Christians like to add another line to that symbol, symbolizing the cross. That's our hope. That's the God of hope who sent his son to live, die, and rise again to you, for you. And you have that hope now of the blessings you need. Paul said, he who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Our shepherd supplies all of our need because of Jesus. Now let's go back to that prayer of Paul. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The other day I brought supper home. It was Dad's night to cook from uh, in and out <laughs> And so I uh, gave my son his soda, and he picks it up and goes, Dad, it's only half full. I said, no, it's not. I filled it up. I watched. Well, you know what happens when you fill those things up and there's a lot of carbonation, you know, in the bubbles. So I thought it was full, and I put the cap on. It wasn't half full. It was actually two-thirds full, just so you're clear. Uh, <laughs> But sometimes we have a way of, of looking at things and, and not seeing fullness. Paul says, God will fill you so that you're overflowing with the blessings of joy and peace. Joy that comes in the Lord. The Apostle Paul, in another letter, that he was writing from prison because of his faith, encouraged the Christians to have joy like this. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Always. He didn't say, rejoice when things are going great. Rejoice when your team wins the Super Bowl. Rejoice when you get that raise. Rejoice when you fall in love with that person that you've been waiting for. Whatever it might be. No, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. Even in those tough, disappointing circumstances, rejoice in the Lord now, how can we do that when things are tough? Peter spoke about that when he said this. In all of this, in all of your troubles, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you haven't seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's what God wants you to have. A joy that overflows into every circumstance and experience of your life. And more than that, he wants you to be filled also with peace. A peace that comes from the Lord. A peace that knows God isn't angry at you. God loves you and is blessing you. Paul wrote, 
This peace from the Lord is one that surpasses all of our understanding. Remember that first lesson? Let's say it again. Don't look at God through your circumstances. Look at your circumstances through God. And that's what's going to give you that joy and that peace. Paul said it's that peace that surpasses or transcends all of our understanding. We don't have to understand. We don't have to know everything that's going on in our life. Let it to God. Let God know and understand. Let's just trust. It's always for blessing. And that's lesson two. Let's say it again. Everything in his hands, so everything goes according to his plans. So what does it mean for us now? Prepare for that journey, that long road ahead. And how do we do that? With faith in God. And that's what Christian education is about. Having that faith in God. It starts with the parents teaching the children. It continues as churches provide it through their programs of schools, Sunday school, catechism classes. And it's not just for the kids. There's classes for everyone because we all need to prepare for that journey of faith. That's what Christian education is about, to teach us about the God who gives us hope. So you have every reason to get your hopes up because you have a God of hope. Amen.